Hi everyone. Minutes. Hi Jamie. How are you today? I'm all good, Irina. I'm okay. Thank you. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you. Tell me, um, when a notification pops up and it says, you know, like in this instance, Katerina has started uh, the room, do you want to join her, right? That notification seemed to vanish very quickly and I can't, like, find, um, does it go to your bulletin or does it go to your activity? Can you find it somewhere else or is that just gone? So I think on the bell, on the bell next to your profile picture, all the top on the left hand, there's like a bell sign and there is all the activity that is happening around you from people you follow. There you should be able to see it. I'm not sure how how it works for you, like yeah, where yeah, that bell is. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. there is an activity button where you can check what notifications you recently got. Cool, because yeah, sometimes I'm seeing these and they're like, they're like, you know, invites to a certain room, but then they go away very, very quickly and I go, ah, where are they? Anyway, not a problem. Yeah, uh, let's wait maybe another two minutes, everyone, and then we'll start with our weekly recap, uh, talking about the guest speaker a short version of uh, what the guest speakers were talking about this week. So, uh, and we'll make a recording out of it at the same time, which is very convenient. So uh, we, c we know we don't have to hand edit it. <laughs> so, and if you want to come up and ask questions, please come. Um, you're welcome to do so. And uh, yeah. It's been another interesting week. What do you think was your favorite, Jamie? Why <laughs> did you didn't have a favorite? Oh, there was, they were all good, and uh, don't make me choose. Um, <laughs> um, uh, one talking about life in space was incredible. Um, uh, what about yourself? What one captured you the most? The one about memory and time was incredible too. Yeah, go. Cool. Yeah. Oh, um, no, I, I, it's hard for me to choose. I don't know. Ah, when you give that to me, you could just <laughs> put it on me. I um. think <laughs> it could be that you had like a favorite. I don't know. Sometimes you have like a favorite, and then the one about the perception of time and the experiment that was done was kind of mind-blowing and looking at how the brain uh, just less blowing away it oh, okay word it properly jamie <sighs> the talk was incredible and the experiments were actually quite down to earth and easy to understand but what was mind-blowing was the perspective on how we actually do perceive causality and time that was blowing my mind and talking to the doctor about um, uh, how we are like taking in information and how we're sifting through it and sometimes uh, are we inventing our perception of time or are we building it from something we're perceiving was quite a mind-blowing thought that was that was definitely a really good one 
to me. We we can slowly start now. Um, uh, we, uh, as I said, welcome everyone to the Science Society. This is the weekly recap room where we just um, very shortly summarize um, what was going on this week and at Science Society. Uh, if you missed the room or you want to remind yourself again uh, what happened here, um, this is the room, basically. Maybe you had the question. Uh, we are not the guest speakers, but we will try to talk, discuss this. So, um, yeah. So, the first um, room here was about, um, was with our guest speakers, um, Lisbona August Ambato. And um, she's a senior research associate at the Genome Labs, um, and uh, she does really interesting research in the field of um, stem cell research. Um, we, yeah, it also always goes a little bit into rejuvenation and stuff like that. And um, she recently published a paper as first author. Um, where they used a short duration of high frequency megahertz order nano stimulation. <clears throat> and with that stimulation, they could dr uh, drive any type of um, stem cell um, into um, osteogenic uh, differentiation. And this paper was focusing on uh, MSC cells. So, um, but uh, they, she also mentioned during the talk that they could do that with any cells. Uh, so basically into bone cells, uh, differentiating. And um, it was really interesting to hear that with that vibration excitation, they basically forced these cells to become bone cells um, in the um, lab. So what they did, they extracted stem cells from from a patient and the Petri dish, basically, um, they uh, gave this uh, short duration of this vibration stimulation. And in the dish, they started differentiating into bone cells. And then what they are doing, they are putting these then back into the patient. And usually people do this type of differentiation work they give them basically signal um, compounds. Um, <clears throat> um, so basically people do a chemical uh, differentiation stimulus and this takes way longer. And they could, um, the, these cells were fully uh, differentiated in five days and usually this takes two weeks. So, uh, this technique basically cuts down significantly the cost because it's quite expensive to keep uh, these cells in the lab. Uh, it needs to be completely sterile. You need um, professionals to take care of them um, that are quite expensive and so on and so forth. So if you can cut down more than half of the time of the, for this process, that is, um, that is really helpful to reduce cost 
And um, yeah, so what basically was happening in the cells, but they need to go more deeper into the exact mechanisms that happen is that calcium, um, there's a calcium signal triggered by this um, frequency that then um, stimulates um, significant, like upregulation of significant markers. And it was RUNX2 and COL1A1 um, that basically uh, turned these cells then into these bone cells. So it was really elegant and really interesting work. And uh, we asked if, um, if maybe there is um, a different way, like using different types of simulation and turning the cells into other cell types for other implants. Uh, they didn't try it yet, but you know, now they are going into clinical studies or they are doing clinical studies with this. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's a really promising technique. That was an absolutely fascinating talk when she was saying that they could actually direct the stem cells and how they actually want to change it, that they didn't get the frequencies right. They said it's going to be a lot of testing and a lot of exploration and a lot to find out. But if you could take stem cells and just use it's like what sound waves um, to transform them into something that we could really need in our own bodies. Oh, that would be so, so incredible. There's a lot of potential there. And it was nice and cheap, right? And um, you already said that, that it was going to be so much cheaper than anything else that could be offered because it had these tiny, tiny little machines and she had to even go into engineering. <laughs> she had to bridge her own skill set into engineering just to understand the tools that she would need just to do this. It was amazing. Yeah, I agree. It's really cool work. It's um and really important. Um, so for bone fractures, for people that cannot heal well anymore, um, yeah, I think it will have a lot of um a lot of applications in the future. People with osteoporosis and so on. So I think um yeah, it's it's amazing work. Then we had. Um, Associate Professor Timothy Brady here uh, on Tuesday, and um, he's in Queensland uh, Brain Institute, uh, Doctor of Neurological Sciences, and he talked about um, non-coding RNA, uh, non RNA and how it drives fear extinction through a direct interaction with the chaperone protein. So this was really interesting and the title was kind of provocative. That's how I made the title. It uh, was um, ja how junk DNA could help us um, address um, anxiety related, uh, anxiety um, disease basically, disorders. And um, you know, we learn. We are learning more and more about um, non-coding DNA uh, that we previously thought was uh, junk DNA, like because it wouldn't directly turn anything into a protein, and um, people just labeled it when they found out about it uh, that it's junk DNA, and it's a very high percentage of our DNA is 
And uh, now we are learning more and more about this non-coding DNA, uh, what they are doing and what role they have. And that's a lot of regulatory role, uh, gene expression mechanism modulations. And um, yeah, and uh, Tom Brady, uh, Tim Brady, he, um, that's his main focus of his research. And um, he found that this non-coding RNA. So it's RNA that doesn't get uh, translated into protein. Um, <clears throat> it's that it's highly involved in fear extinction. What fear extinction means is that um, you basically have a fear memory, a traumatic memory, and um, through um, exposure therapy and in mice basically to basically play the trigger over and over without that any really harm happens over time. Um, you basically learn that um, there's no reason to be afraid anymore from the signal. And then you just go around with your beha regular behavior without freezing or having this regular behavior and display of a of a traumatic experience over time and this is extinct extinction learning and um yeah he found that um there's a specific there's specific non-coding rna that um that is that plays a very important role in this fear extinction learning and um the cool thing is once we know that and we have people that uh, have very unflexible PTSD um, that they don't learn anymore um, that something is safe now, that they are in a safe environment now, one could use this knowledge one day to basically um, upregulate or enable them to have this extinction um, training so that they learn that um, the environment is safe now and go on with their lives. So yeah, this was a really interesting discussion, amazing talk. He was a really great um, public speaker answering all these questions um, we had and uh, everyone else had. And um, yeah, I think it was it was amazing. This one was incredibly exciting as well, because this is one of the ones that not only were you hit with a lot of incredible facts about the brain and how it works, and I always love that, but on top of that, when you started to look at the far-reaching implications of a study like this, it showed that there actually is things in the brain that can help you go over trauma. Um, sometimes you might just need a little bit of help. Not to be confused with anything crazy like brain control or anything like that, these are just going to be tools that are going to help people um maybe with that alongside you mentioned this cognitive therapy afterwards or something like that because it's like this could help the mind when it's finding a difficulty moving past something and then after that behavioral changes or behavioral life changes afterwards but this could help not only the amazing help it could be to ptsd people like can for war or tragedies or anything like that. But it could even, in theory, go so far as in the future to help people go over things like phobias.
and even to the point of things like I, I suggested at the time public speaking, even fears like that, like the, the kind of things that just trigger off our fear responses um, and that we find debilitating. This could be, could be a genuine treatment in the future to actually help you get past it. There's a lot of people out there that could definitely probably empathize with something like that. So if you have time, give that a listen. Very, very worthwhile. Yeah, I agree. It's it's really amazing. Um, and then next we had uh, Dr. Christos Berlivanidis. Um, He's an associate professor uh, experimental uh, psychology. And uh, he is at uh, University College London in the UK. And his main research area is the role of causation and perception learning and reasoning. And he is uh, very interested in the relationship between perceptual judgments of causation and judgments of time. Uh, so what happens when assumed causes take place after their effect? Can the causal uh, interpretation of the environment distort the order in which events are represented in the mind? <clears throat> and he's also interested in the way people generate and evaluate explanations, and in particular, the role of abstraction in everyday explanations. And uh, yeah, th this was, um, as Jamie already referred to, um, at um, the, the paper he published, the title is Human Vision Reconstructs Time to Satisfy Causal, uh, causal Constraints. So um, yeah, and he showed exactly this. So what they did was to show um, pictures in a specific order to uh, the, um, the different subjects. And uh, what happened was is that people eat, the pictures didn't like um necessarily show a story like it was not a mixed up picture story experiment it was just different pictures shown in a specific order and um then people reconstructed the order of the picture to kind of in make a causality um, construct out of it. Uh, so uh, that was really, really interesting that um, the subjective um, order of, of the, the visual input they got of these different pictures um, was always different and in a way that it kind of satisfied uh, causal uh, individual subjective causality of the individuals so uh it was very intriguing it was a really interesting discussion and we had really interesting questions i thought actually the question from a non-scientist that was uh was really interesting about what's with meditation when people uh train themselves to meditate, to focus. Um, and we asked them the question if, for example, training of meditation, if people that go through this for a long time and are very well trained to be mindful in the present moment and so on, to see things as they are and so on, if 
that would be different in individuals and maybe then the contrary would be if people take drugs that completely uh, change the perspective of the individual if that would be like also very different if that would generate the very different results they haven't done that yet but they thought it was a really interesting um, questioning we also asked if um, this would be maybe also different in people with split brain um, that went through um, splitting the brain surgeries because of epilepsy. So um, yeah, I think this work was really interesting. It opened up way more questions, <laughs> which is usually the sign of a really good study. If you basically start a study mm -hmm. and you generate a new field basically with way more studies to <laughs> to follow up and I think this is one of those studies and we are very curious to see what what he will do next but he answered in the email that these were all great suggestions and that he is considering them to do them so it was really cool that's exciting to think the science society can do its little part to advance the ideas in science that is amazing and all of you people listen to this they're all part of it too so thank you for joining us Yeah, exactly. I agree. That uh, makes it way more fun. So, um, we had actually a room in between that I forgot about because we had done two rooms. Was the team that was here that talked about um, quantum charging battery? Exactly. That was the whole team was here, which was a lot of fun. Uh, they are, um, their lab is in, in South Korea, and it was uh, Yu Yun Jim, Dominic Safanek, and Dario Rosa. They are um, all theoretical physicists, and um, they do really amazing work in quantum mechanics, um, and um, they came up with a way that you could basically charge a huge battery such as like an EV battery like for electric cars in uh, in like a couple of minutes um, and um, what they did was to basically use the quantum uh, quantum mechanisms to uh, charge the EV Oh, I didn't put the the paper up, Jamie. You can you can fill in what you thought about the room while I put the paper up. Thank you. That one was absolutely mind blowing as well. I keep saying this every time. I'm going to make my expressions all redundant if I don't have to. I'm going to have to look up a thesaurus just to come up with new adjectives to describe these rooms and how amazing they are. The quantum one was incredible because not only was each of the team diverse in their backgrounds and how they got there but they worked so well together they were a real team and they were here they were asking answering lots of great questions um it got very quantum -y. everybody who loves quantum jump in um, there was a lot of that um there was also talk of changing the new technology so there's a lot of people who were saying that oh this will never work it'll burn out all of the plugs and the plug sockets and blah 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 
and they said what it is they're trying to make everybody understand that this is going to be a brand new technology so we're going to be in a lot of senses hopefully throwing out all the old plug sockets that we've got and all the old systems and having something brand new in something with a whole different sci-fi type of technology except for it'll be science fact which is always exciting and that will let you plug in your car and have it done in you know minutes there was even there were even um discussions there when people threw the ideas out to put some kind of charger things under roads so that when cars were driving that was yeah. only just everybody shooting ideas out but <laughs> the idea that the car could charge as you were actually driving on the road which would be completely cool yeah that's true so um the main ingredient here is that um instead of galvanic batteries what we are using now is that in the quantum battery the stuff that it is made of are qubits and uh, you basically want in this quantum battery to create a preferred orientation of um, the qubits uh, and um, if you when you charge the battery you bring them into a very specific state and for that you would need to um, you can only do this with a laser um, this was shown um, that you would need a high energy laser to basically all at the same time change the qubits um, um, from a low energy discharge state into a high energy charge state by aligning them and um, why this is uh, way faster is that you have basically you can have all these uh, quantum qubits uh, sitting at the same table basically and with the laser you can you could um, change their um, align their states all at the same time um, so um, the cool thing about this on top is the bigger the battery the faster like the faster you will charge it because the best possible advantage is that n times the number of cells um, will be the acceleration basically of charging so when you have a battery that consists of 10 cells it will be 10 times faster than the regular charging mechanism if you have a, a typical tesla battery which consists of 7200 you will be 7200 times faster so uh, this means that instead of with a regular not the supercharger um, but with a regular charger instead of having it charging 10 hours you will be under three minutes <laughs> it's so so counterintuitive to how we've had to suffer in the past with hours and hours of charging times ah. exactly so that's no. a huge advantage but they also said we don't have the infrastructure right now to do this um you know we don't have currently uh, a charging infrastructure with these high power lasers um and um, we, you also need to basically isolate the qubits from the environment well 
um, in an EV. So that's another hurdle that we have to achieve. Um, but if we do, we can um, basically overcome this and they gave kind of a timeline of around eight years or so that we would be able to do this quantum charging. All incredibly exciting stuff. And uh, and I did ask them at the time, if you go back, um, if this technology was going to be akin to what the mobile phone did to the common telephone box. And they said that um, in the medium, short to medium term, no, it's only going to be employed probably in, in special places for a time till, like Katharina said, infrastructure changes. Um, we sort of get them evaluate its uses fully but eventually it probably will and these kind of plugs could be considered to be caveman plugs in the future other than in special special circumstances yeah we'll have a new type of laser um, development room next week so so that will be interesting to go into that following up these quantum charging technology. So um, I think we'll have that room on Tuesday, um, which I'm really excited about. Uh, no, on Wednesday, nanospacer, nano optics, and nanospectroscopy. Um, yeah, it will be interesting. So um, yeah, I agree. It's an exciting time. I can't wait until we have this quantum charging battery. <laughs> I also would please like to throw it out there to all the avid listeners of the Science Society that every speaker you'll find, uh, we're very quickly developing quite a catalogue of speakers. And if you have one speaker talking about stem cells, there'll be another speaker talking about the RNA and how stem cells are made or used or manipulated and another one talking about the biology of how these are even created in the first place and you'll actually find an incredibly intricate connection of the biologists and physicists there's a lot of crisscross here for the people that love sifting through these kind of things and finding common features so one of the things I'm finding really exciting yep I agree um the times of cutting up science and these all these different blocks i think should be over by now but um yeah on friday we had um dr sergi kwasno kutuski and the building blocks of life form on space dust uh he's at the max planck institute for astronomy he um He's a researcher from the Ukraine um, and um, he is interested in all these different types of, um, yeah, of how these building blocks of life could be maybe forming on, um, on space dust. And this was really cool and elegant work um where they kind of created um they kind of created the um, the parameters or the factors that um could be uh, like would be uh, in outer space on, on on surfaces on different surfaces um 
and they were able in this very cold environment of 10k of 10 kelvin um produce um this very first uh peptides um there if you click on the paper you can see the 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 figures they made to look at the diagram and how um, the energy levels um, for this reactions from CO and uh, CNNH3 um, work and um, it's um, it was fascinating work because what they have shown is that with very with stuff that is in outer space available quite abundantly, even under this very cold temperatures on different types of surfaces, like the surface part is, um, is, is important, but um, what type of surface is really not important, and they showed this here too, uh, that uh, these first building blocks for life uh, could be uh, created um, and it wouldn't be really anything special that uh, peptides are created on space dust and you know we recently we kind of go further and further down the timeline when uh, life on earth was for first um, detected uh, it's getting basically earlier and earlier the more uh, we find and um, you know, if we have already um, the peptides formed beforehand, um, it's really not that um, special to basically have the first forms of life since peptides can be the building blocks and also um, catalyst. And uh, we've shown the same thing also for RNA uh, before this study. So, um, yeah, it, um, first of all, Jamie asked also the question, does this um, like support the theory that there is a lot of life out there in the universe? Um, and um, he said, yes, this does support um, this view. And um, he had this view way before anyways, but yeah. And um, yeah, and now we not just have the RNAs as um, as important first building block that could be formed quite easily. We also have peptides. So uh, yeah, I think that was really cool. Incredibly exciting. And then it was actually seeing how changing our view in space for a lot of us, space is this almost dead inert place with a few things floating up in there and discovering that actually out there in the vastness of space, there's a big sort of ballet of of chemicals and possibly organisms that are all connecting together and making simple things in ways we don't understand. It's it's kind of incredible. Um, even if it even if it wasn't me leading us to find life or anything that huge right this second, it's shown there's a lot more going on out there than we ever expected, and I always always find that inspiring. Yeah, I agree. It was it was a great room. And um, yeah, this was our really exciting week. Um, 
if you want to know more details about the different rooms we just discussed, uh, please be feel invited to listen to the replays or just if you're on the replays to go on the diff click on the different presentations. Um, most of the guest speakers um, made for us. Uh, specifically for us. I made them available through our Google Drive here. Um, everyone can view it. Um, and uh, yeah, I I think this was another great week and we have another wonderful week ahead. So um, it's it's really cool. So on so tomorrow we have Dr. Singh and he will talk about his research with, with machine learning. He found a new way to um, to find new uh, rare earth compounds. Rare earth compounds are really important, especially for um, photovoltaic and renewable energy, and all kinds of technological stuff we we need nowadays. Um, and um, then we'll have on Tuesday. Dr. Person and also his um, his colleague will come um, and how gravity emerges and about his um, their holographic principle. Uh, this will be a really interesting room. Then on Wednesday, as I said, we will talk about nanospacer, so a uh, uh, different type, new type of laser, um, nano optics and nanospectroscopy. And on Thursday, we will have Dr. Alaham uh, talking about Parkinson's disease-specific gene signatures. And on Friday, we will have Dr. Sarwat um, from EBM in Switzerland coming to talk about neuromorphic computing and neural networks. Um, so, yeah, it's another really exciting week and I can't wait actually. <laughs> That's going to be pretty exciting. We're covering a lot of different topics over a lot of different areas in science. So anyone who can listen, listen, be there or be square. Or if you can't, um, make sure you listen to the replays on your way to work, in the car, anywhere, in the shower, even. <laughs> Definitely give them a listen. Do yourself a favour and be a little bit smarter every single day. <laughs> exactly. Uh, on the Monday after, we will have a really also big scientist coming uh, to talk about how he, they his lab um, discovered a new mechanism for long-term memory storage. So he's uh, also a really big name scientist who will be coming. So yeah, we are booked out with guest speakers until mid-June by now. Um, yeah, we will have every um yeah, almost every and unless people reschedule until then because something comes up we will have every weekday a major guest speaker coming until mid-june it's booked out so yeah it's it's exciting we'll see how i can manage that in the summer <laughs> because i will be traveling and so on but for now until june we are yeah, set with a lot of amazing guest speakers. So yeah, join the club. Come back. Thank you, Jamie, for 
helping here with the moderation. This was a great room, I think. And um, yeah, thank you, everyone. Enjoy your Sunday and hear you all back uh, next week on Monday. Thank you. Thank you very much, Katerina. And everybody, have a good weekend. Well, what's left of it. <laughs> and we'll see you on Monday. Yep. Bye, everyone. Bye.